0: the service animal come into your lap and want some cuddles whenever it senses that you're dysregulated. And that's a better way for regulation. When you have a horse, and this horse is this gigantic animal, and it senses that this teeny tiny little thing is scared, the horse will say, don't worry, teeny tiny little scared thing, I will take care of you. Because horses are very empathetic creatures, generally speaking. Episode 18 Ponies are Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history.
1: Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed. A long history History of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe.
0: Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your host is Dr. Angela Loria the Linguistic Autistic
1: and licensed psychological practitioner Matt Lowry. Welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of
0: Autistica. Autistica. Hey, Angela.
1: Hey, Matt, we're back.
0: We are. uh, And I have a big question for you.
1: Okay, I'm ready.
0: When you think of uh, a a big focus of the 1980s, what kind of toys do you think, uh, what what immediately comes to mind?
1: Well, listen, I was a child of the 1980s. I had my Munchy Chi, Munchy Chi, Munchy Oh, Ooh, yes. soft and cuddly with its thumb in his mouth. He's really neat, fun to wiggle his little feet. I don't know. I also <laughs> love me some Care Bears.
0: Oh, yes. Care Bears.
1: Care Bears, that was huge. And um, there was a certain little cotton candy colored show that I liked that had some ponies in it. You know anything about that one?
0: Oh, oh, yeah! I think that we can talk a lot about that because it turns out that uh, the creation of My Little Pony was a very, very autistic endeavor. Oh, and I'm
1: so excited! It's going to be a Pinkie Pie episode, people.
0: It very much is, and yeah. Uh, so a lot of people don't know about the origin of My Little Pony. Uh, if you're listening to this episode and you're autistic, and uh, you you might. Have a special interest in my little pony, please add to the comments because it's a it's a really great thing that we're going to get into. but anyway, I will tell so, you,
1: I had no idea there was any autistic culture in the world of my little pony. I just liked oh. collecting them, and I liked brushing their tails so <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear this story i I was unaware
0: <laughs> that uh that, yeah, yeah, you're gonna get a kick out of this one then. <laughs> so, back in the early 80s, there was uh, this lady who worked for Hasbro named Bonnie D. Zacherly. And she had a pitch for you know a, a girl's toy that uh, consisted of a whole bunch of little horses. And uh, Hasbro said, no, no, we'd we never want to do that. That sounds like a bad idea, and we can't do that ever. And she said, righty then, so uh, this idea sort of lingered around among her bosses and was eventually turned into My Pretty Pony, a fairly large horse that was made out of really tough plastic and could blink its eyes and had a brushable mane. And when uh, Bonnie was talking about this, there's this fantastic show called The Toys That Made Us that's on Netflix. It has an episode featuring her You can watch uh, clips from her interviews on YouTube. You can see clips from her uh, presentation at the My Little Pony convention. This woman has the autistic accent. I was
1: going to ask you, can you hear her accent?
0: You can definitely hear her accent. What the neurotypicals call monotone, disjointed, pedantic speech with tangential conversation and difficulty modulating breathing as she speaks. She got it. So... Uh, this is a quote from her uh, when she was uh, on The Toys That Made Us.
1: Okay, she said, when I was little, the only thing I ever wanted was a horse. So I pitched the idea to R&D. I thought it should be small and soft and played with like a doll. I would say, little girls love horses. And my boss's boss said to me, little girls aren't like you. They like to cook and clean and iron. And I had no desire to cook and clean and iron. He just called me a freak of nature.
0: Hey, freak. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a big thing, especially when you see the autistic accent at play and how she was marginalized among her co-workers especially because they said you are not a real girl this is not what girls want this is n- nothing like this you are a freak of nature i mean holy crap that's girls just that's, like
1: to cook and clean give us an iron that's how we play
0: exactly exactly and she she wanted a horse that you could play with like a doll, including hair play, because she said that hair play is a core human and primate behavior because that's socialization, grooming each other.
1: I want to pick the nits out of your little hair.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that was a big thing about My Pretty Pony, because when they eventually came back around to this idea and said, all right, make your toy. This was a big focus because you could have a mane and a tail a two sets and tail. of hair. And, yeah.
1: and it came yeah. some of the some of the kits would come with a brush like you would get not just the pony. You would get the brush. It was the best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it was the
1: so smooth. You could yeah. touch it. And pretty bright colors.
0: And that's a big thing, because when they were coming up with accessories, including many, many brushes and hats and other hair play stuff, they uh, they got this designer named Kipra Nichols, who designed the play sets uh, to uh, have company uh, to have pony play. And well, Uh, horse play we'll we'll go with that because as it were (laughs) pony play is something totally other but uh horse play so anyway this guy uh designed all the play sets and he decided that he was going to add a dragon spike the dragon uh he came from a background in boys designs uh he had a lot of car design he had a hard time being feminine enough so uh, his bosses kept saying make it more pink make it more pink uh and he was a masculine, manly man who actually was immortalized as a GI Joe named Doc. So Doc is based on the guy who created all the accessories for My Little Pony. So, so anyway, uh, uh, Bonnie Zachary, uh was her bosses bounced around the idea, and eventually they came to a liking of it, and of course they took credit for it because yes, Bonnie that's could good. not.
1: Right, that's what yeah. they do. We yeah. know that game.
0: Exactly, exactly. So My Pretty Pony was adequate. It was a very large brown horse. It was sold to toddlers, and it did adequately well. But they really, really needed girls' toys because, again, back in the 80s, there were the big three, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and My Little Pony. Uh, they they had George. G.I. Joe. They, they had oh, G.I. Joe. They G.I. Exactly. Exactly. And they needed a girl's toy to go along with it to cover all their bases. So they came back to My Pretty Pony and they said, you know what would be a great idea? If we made it small, just like that uh, one freak woman said. And they said, hey, Bonnie, could you take another look at this? And she said, come on, guys. So she went back to her original idea of making a small, soft Collectible horse because that's exactly what she wanted her entire life. Instead of having a doll, she wanted a horse. And she so preferred I
1: don't know what else like I'm not up on toy break. This is Hasbro. Is this Hasbro? Okay. Because also at the time, this might've been a little before it, but I remember collecting strawberry shortcake and I don't know, blueberry thunder. I can't remember what her friend's name is. Blueberry pork pie. I'm not sure, but they were also, they did not have the hair, so they were less good, but they each had a different color and they were little and I could carry them in my pocket. So I always had like strawberry shortcake and the blueberry one. So I don't, I don't know if that was another brand, but I always felt like maybe my little pony was like not competing with strawberry shortcake, but it was in that vein of like, let's have our version and, and, and that's it had thing. a show. It wasn't very good. Strawberry shortcake, very neurotypical.
0: Yeah. But yeah. They it, it,
1: smelled. It, that was the thing you got. the sensory experience. They smelled. Oh, I just remember the smell. It smelled like plastic, but I plastic sort of strawberry scented plastic.
0: Yeah. Uh, that, yep. yeah, uh by Shortcake was part of those characters from Cleveland and uh, originally uh, designed by a marketing firm for, you know, cards along with Care Bears, part of the same batch. Mm. And again, multicolored Care Bears had little, you know, hair that you could play with. And again, designed very much in the same vein. And I think that, you know, My Little Pony falls into that.
1: Yeah, because- it feels like they're doing a thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, because Bonnie preferred nature-colored horses like Appaloosas and wanted brown and gray and spotted. And she had an encyclopedic knowledge of horses, as Ooh, one does.
1: This reminds me of our Pokemon uh, episode. Instead of bugs, she was uh, studying horses.
0: Exactly, exactly. And uh, her, one of the, her co-workers, Maureen Patterson, said that they should be pastel-colored because, quote, little girls love pink and purple. And uh, uh, Bonnie's response was, let's see here. Uh,
1: get out of my office. <laughs> uh, she, so she, she literally said, get out of my office. We are yeah. not doing pastels.
0: <laughs> we are not doing pastels because that is an affront to ponies. Hmm. But uh, they eventually got her to do a test set with little girls. Uh, one set of natural colors and one set with pastels. You can guess which set won out.
1: Yeah. If I was in the test, I would have gone pastel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So mm, Sorry, um,
1: Bonnie. I understand. It's not, see, like, this is where a little bit of the tism comes in because that is not accurate. And there exactly. are so many beautiful pony fla- call it flavors, also flavors, colors. Like, why can't we use the actual ones? Cause it would be true. We can get a little like, but I like the fantasy. Exactly. Um, so she said, you can't fight with what children want, but I would have played with it as a real horse.
0: Yeah. 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 And that's I get that's, that.
1: Yeah, I get that, Bonnie. I see you now, but my seven year old self is very grateful for Pinkie Pie. All the and that's, colors.
0: That's a big thing about the colors because it was said that once you added in the fantasy colors, you got the fantasy ponies. They they all of a sudden went from being real little horses to fantasy horses that could talk and play and have adventures. And it opened the door to unicorns and Pegasuses, uh Pegasi. Uh, I'm not sure. Seahorses. <laughs> sea. Pegasi, yeah. Seahorses.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. And uh, that that became the first six horses. Uh, and she snuck in a gray horse in the first six horses because, you know, of course she did. Uh, and she also uh, came up with the quote rump designs because she wanted to put some designs on the horse's butts. And they later became known as cutie marks a play on the word beauty mark. But uh, the, the original term from the original creator is rump design. Hmm. But uh, she she got tired of being yanked around and treated poorly, and that so she bailed when she got an offer from Parker Brothers uh, right before My Little Pony hit shelves because she got no accolades, no credits, no raise, no nothing, uh, and she went on to develop the uh, iconic brand Nerfles, which lasted for ten figures, which is unfortunate. They're little Nerf balls that have hats and clothes and a uh, you know other uh, stuff. Bonnie,
1: mm, yeah, maybe now. Sorry. (laughs) Stick with horses, Bonnie. That's your thing. That's your jam.
0: Yeah. So it became a phenomenon. Girls wanted to collect them all, as is the mantra of our people. It was a big, big thing for uh, little girls, especially little autistic girls who wanted every pony, who wanted to learn their names, who wanted to learn their symbols. And uh, a particular pony fanatic, uh, who is a big, big pony collector, uh, said this.
1: It was my goal in life every year to get the whole line. Something about those little symbols on their butts just inspired me.
0: And this was from a pony fanatic named Lauren Faust. Lauren Faust, as a nine-year-old, wrote a letter to Hasbro very much angry with them because... She really wanted to collect the entire line, but being a child, she did not have access to endless amounts of money. And she really wanted a pony named Bubbles, but she could not find Bubbles because the new line was out. So she bargained with Hasbro at the age of nine that she would give Hasbro the idea for a new series of ponies if she could get a cut and Bubbles. So <laughs> okay, she drew, girl. <laughs> yeah, she drew an entire series of ponies with the cutie marks and all this other stuff in a. Bar- bargain to one of the largest toy corporations ever in history, because she wanted bubbles, as a, a, a typical girl would do. Because, you know, you say, hey, I need this. What is the solution? I'm going to confront the marketing people and just go right to the source. Because- hey, why
1: not? Look, Meghan Markle did it. She was at nine emailing Paul Malib saying, why well, you got to say women wash the dishes? So, Exactly. let's go uh, exactly. I, I, i'm here for it <laughs>
0: and this is another thing because uh, pony fans at this point already recognize recognize the name lauren faust but we'll come back to her in just a moment uh, so my little pony at being one of the big three others being transformers and gi joe needed a cartoon because right. that was the way of things that was, at the the, time. that
1: was the moment that was the moment we were in
0: So they went to Lauren and Bacall, an advertising branch. Uh, They worked with Margaret Loesch to create the G.I. Joe cartoon and the Transformers cartoon. Fun fact, Margaret Loesch went on to become the head of Fox Kids Programming and was the person behind Batman the Animated Series, Power Rangers, Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, and a whole bunch of other things that defined animation in the 1990s. She was huge. And uh, Lauren and Bacall were gigantic marketing people, uh, m- marketing dudes, and uh, they they were the ones assigned to create the My Little Pony show. Uh, it did not register as well coming from two dudes because uh, a lot of the episodes were centered around fighting evil and uh, the eternal darkness, and you know stuff that would make much more resonance in Can we a, give
1: them lightsabers and guns?
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. But there were We, a, we a whole
1: episode where we just brush each other's tails and look at our beauty marks and say that was so cute. I love your cutie mark. That would be the whole show for
0: me. That's the thing. That's the thing uh, about, you know, what it means to be friendship and uh, to 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 have friendship. And one of the writers that would later become prolific was a woman named Linda Wolverton. And she wrote two episodes for My Little Pony, one of which was called Crunch the Rock Dog in 1986. Crunch the Rock Dog featured Wind Whistler, an autistic pony. And this was in, again, 1986. Wynn Whistler displays pedantic speech, is very autistic coded, has difficulties with social and uh, emotional reciprocity as defined by the DSM. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and back then, the DSM-3 was published in 1980, right? And back in the DSM-3, the big book of psychology for those who don't know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It called autism, quote, a lack of interest in people, several impairments in communication and, quote, bizarre responses to the environment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK,
0: so so Th-
1: that's what they called it. Bizarre. That was the official. Say- right.
0: The, yeah. The official terminology is that we are bizarre. Mm-hmm. And, but again, DSM three also classified uh, gay people as a paraphilia saying that they had a mental disorder because they were attracted but, to sex. But I mean at sex. least
1: that sounds very like like official or like ivory towery. Yeah. Like this morning I put on this shirt and it has a tag on the side and I had an extremely bizarre reaction to this tag in my shirt. Yeah. Um I didn't think the DSM would be calling it bizarre like well, she's fucking weird about that tag. Exactly, Let's exactly. Classify her as autistic.
0: Yeah, yeah, because again, this is the whole pathologization of our people because right from the beginning, as soon as they put the diagnosis in there, because before that, it was childhood schizophrenia. But oh, the, so this
1: was an upgrade. Got
0: it. Yeah, yeah, this is the upgrade. And yeah, and, and it wasn't until 1987 that they added uh, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified because they said, well, if you can make eye contact, then you're still bizarre, but not as bizarre as these people. So this is, again, the legacy of misdiagnosis and the the, the spectrum. So, mm. so anyway, this pony, Wind Whistler, it, I advise everyone after you get done listening to this podcast, of course, mm-hmm. because stay with us for a while. You'll see why. So you can watch this episode, "Crunch the Rock Dog" on YouTube, and when I'm gonna this put episode that in the
1: show notes, oh yes, mm-hmm. yes,
0: you can. You, I'll fun. link to it because uh, it's prolific. And this is a quote from Wind Whistler when they're listening to a sad story at the beginning, and all the ponies start crying and. Wind Whistler doesn't understand why the ponies are crying.
1: And he says, I have feelings. I merely refrain from expressing them at the drop of a hat. Logic clearly dictates that we save ourselves.
0: And then later on says,
1: Remarkable, this entire mountain is a living sentient being.
0: Because again, uh, very pedantic speech, very precise, does not understand why the other ponies express things as they do, but by the end of it, of course, you know, uh, Wind Whistler is shown because Wind Whistler has feelings all the way throughout. Wind Whistler has a very strong sense of right and wrong. Wind Whistler has a very strong sense of what should and should not be done, but again, the other ponies don't understand Wind Whistler's emotions. Wind Whistler doesn't understand the other ponies' emotions. Double
1: empathy! Yeah, exactly.
0: And only until uh, Wind Whistler has to confront Crunch the Rock Dog, a large dog made of rock who by, uh, who was created with no feelings. And they have to give Crunch a heart stone in order for Crunch to have so feelings.
1: Crunch is a sociopath.
0: Yes, yes and wants to turn all the ponies into stone so mm. wind whistler is the only one who can save them from crunch the rock dog after crunch turns a few ponies into stone spoiler alert for a cartoon that's over 30 years old
1: okay <laughs> duly noted
0: <laughs> but yeah so uh Wind Whistler confronts Crunch and starts to say, yes, I am just like you. I also have no feelings. These people will vouch for me. And they're like, yeah, she has no feelings. Yeah, yeah no feelings whatsoever. But she tricks Crunch into getting the heartstone that gives him feelings because she does have feelings. And that's how the episode ends that everyone learns that, you know, she doesn't, in fact, have feelings. Crunch has feelings. The Living Mountain has feelings. And just because it looks like we're made of stone doesn't mean that we are. Right. And Linda Wolverton was a prolific writer in 1980s and 1990s cartoons. She worked on just about everything Rescue Rangers, the. Uh, one of the biggest ones that I know from my childhood was the real Ghostbusters, where she wrote an episode about Drool the dog-faced goblin. And okay. the Ghostbusters are <laughs> called in to bust a ghost. They find Drool. They said, oh, clearly, what an ugly creature. We must bust it. And the whole point of the episode is that Drool looks ugly, but is actually a very good-hearted goblin, and they should not bust the goblin. And the episode ends with the goblin fighting the evil ghost uh, and they actually had to trap both of them tragically. So now Drool is in the containment unit. But again, her big thing is ugly creatures have a good heart. And this came in handy later in her career with stuff that you might have heard of because Disney was kicking around this movie in uh, the late 80s, early 90s, and they had had several writers on it before, and they just could not crack the heart of the story. It is about uh, this uh, woman uh, who is captured and falls for an enormous beast. So, as you do? Yeah, so mm-hmm. Lena Wolverton was the writer for Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Featuring Belle, an autistic uh, coded woman who loves books. The villagers all sing about how weird she is. And then she as, falls as you
1: know, you may, I, I don't know if we've talked about this, but Belle is like, she's my totem Disney character. For all the Disney challenges, I, I am Belle.
0: That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah, she she is socially ignored. She does not fall for Gaston, who is neurotypically. Gross. Yeah, uh, because Gaston is is physically attractive by all accounts, because everybody, including LaFoe, talks about how hot he is. And she says, no, I don't want any of that because you're gross. You wipe your feet on my books. What the hell? And she says, you know, I really wanted to spend time with my books and my dad. As you do. And then, of course, you know, she meets the Beast, realizes the Beast is actually a pretty chill dude. He just looks like a Beast. So she falls for the Beast because, again, Linda Wolverton's thing is that, you know, bad-looking things may not actually be bad Mm -hmm. uh, because they might just be pushed to the side. They might be marginalized. They might be mistreated by society, and therefore you have to learn about them. And she later went on to uh, add material to Mulan. She wrote The Lion King. She wrote Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland movies. She wrote the Maleficent movies, and she wrote a remake of Clan of the Cave Bear in 2015.
1: Wow. Okay. Linda Wolverton did not know that name, but I love her work. I've seen all of those things.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And again, she takes, because uh, again, I've never met Linda Wolverton and I can't diagnose her, but a lot of her writing brings the autistic voice to the mainstream, well, especially you when you work with autistic Johnny Depp. Exactly. Yeah. So again, there's a lot of autistic representation at this point in My Little Pony. But uh, they went through Generation Two, which was universally reviled because they tried to pretty up the ponies and make them—dare I Mm, say—sexy. They decided to, instead of making the ponies horse-shaped, they decided to make them long and sexy. And ponies hate uh, pony files hated it. Mm. Uh, Generation Three, Generation Three Point Five came and went, and then. Lauren Faust, that little nine-year-old who wrote to Hasbro, came into the picture because by this time, Lauren Faust had been a big writer on the Powerpuff Girls and helped create Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. And by this time, she had some clout. She had uh, some writing. She had some animation. She wanted to get into the toy market because she always wanted to create toys. So she went to Hasbro and said, hey, would y'all like to see my toys? And they said, no, not at all. And she said, oh, well, that sucks. (laughs) But uh, they said, hey, as long as you're here, would you be interested in taking a look at My Little Pony? At which point her head exploded because she has been a... My Little Pony fan since the the, the the old days. Right. But she was not a fan of uh, the presentation of My Little Pony from these holistic dudes. Mm. Uh, she, she collected every pony. She collected all the play sets. She played with the ponies. But in her world, the ponies were slightly different. She had the main six, spelled M-A-N-E, because... Puns. Uh huh. I feel yeah. you, girl. Her her childhood characters. Uh, she referred to them as the butt symbols and rewrote <laughs> their characters based on their, in her words, the butt symbols. Uh, so she she created this this brand new world called Equestria. She she created this world. For friendship is magic, the the My Mm. Little Pony show that revolutionized everything. And again, a lot of this stuff was based on friendships. A lot of this stuff was based on magic and adventure. It kind of ignored the whole human thing because, again, when it comes to Transformers and Ponies, we don't need humans. We've got ponies and we've got transformers. That's the best part. You're a robot or you're a horse. Let's go with that. So she wrote this cartoon and she was terrified that people would criticize it for being fun, uh, for, for being, quote, dumb, for being, you know, uh, for, for not hitting that broad audience. Because she, again, was told that unless you can appease everybody, people are going to hate it. But it turns out everyone loved it, including adult males, Uh, adult, especially adult males that may be autistic called bronies. Fascinating. Bronies! Bronies. Bronies became a huge, huge part of this. They started writing fan fiction about living in Equestria and being ponies. There were conventions now where people created My Little Pony cosplay, where you could be My Little Ponies. And this led to the fandom embracing being ponies and turned into a whole different thing called the Equestria Girls, which are a series of literal horse girls because it was the ponies reimagined as humans who went to school. Only they had pony ears and the pony colors and they had skin tones of the ponies and they had other characteristics of the ponies.
1: Is this is this cosplay or is this furries or is this some cross between cosplay and furries? It seems All like we're in that. Okay, we're in this area. Yeah. We're in yeah. this genre.
0: Yes. Let's yes. dress
1: up like animals, but also let's dress up like characters we love. I got you
0: exactly because the fandom took off and everybody wanted to be a part of this because Lauren Faust created a world that people wanted to be in all over again and while we have these elements of you know my little pony from back in the day that you know obviously resonated with a big audience it was nothing like Lauren Faust's version because she she knew it Exactly what the pony audience wanted, and this became a big thing. And then the Equestria girls became literal horse girls, and of course, the term "horse girls" is un... un- oh man, what is the word? Uh, it's always been identified with autistic girls and autistic women mm-hmm. because. Uh, the, the, the stereotype is that autistic boys love trains and that yes. the autistic girls love horses. Got Not it. that, you know, autistic girls can't re- love horses. I read
1: the instructions.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at MattLowryLPP.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to MattLowryLPP.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. But I want to go back one second because the idea... I just want to spend a second on the cosplay element. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I have a theory. I want to use your psychology degree and test on you. Oh, yeah. So in regular 3D Earth life, I walk into a situation and I it often doesn't go how I expect. So, and even like... I will think, oh, here is a logical thing to say. Everyone will agree with me. And then all of a sudden, something goes wrong. And I'm very surprised that it went wrong. And I have a bizarre response. Um, what, What happens then is like all the sensory things that usually I can kind of keep at bay and keep quiet, get really loud. So for me, I'll get a super loud ringing in my ears. My vision goes tunnel vision. The tag in my shirt that I maybe didn't notice will suddenly feel like a knife is stabbing me and I must immediately address this. And so my whole body gets dysregulated And then I usually do something even more stupid, which like anyone, like imagine just after you stub your toe that you are not at your best. You're probably not going to be like your most diplomatic and strategic because you're just like, ow, 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 fuck, jeez. And then you spill your coffee and then you spill it on someone and then they hate you and then you're apologizing but you apologize too much. And it's like everything just goes wrong. And this happens you know with some frequency. And yeah. by the way, every time I'm surprised, but it still happens with some frequency. So I think when people think about furries or cosplay or being inside this world, they're like especially if you're alistic, you're like why would you want to dress up like maybe if it was halloween But for me, the experience, I've never been that into cosplay, but I do have a version of it with one of my special interests is a band called Crowded House. And when I'm with the Uber fans, my Crowdy fans, when I'm in that world, everything is sort of regulated. So if we're in this world of My Little Pony and I'm dressed up and you're dressed up, we're agreeing. We're in like, and I don't know if you've ever watched, not you, but listener. Um, If you watch, like the music is nice. Hearts are flying out of people's asses. There's like not a lot of misunderstanding. And if there is, it's rectified in 19 minutes. And so it's not about the dressing up. It's not not about the dressing up. But to me, my theory, here's where I want to hear your doctor words. Um, But my theory is it's about regulation. When I'm in that world, I don't have... tunnel vision ringing in my ears, my shirt poking me like a knife. It's a regulating space when I'm there. So what do you think of my theory?
0: I I think that that's a big part of it. Uh, So cosplay... I love cosplay. It is an interaction of art, of dedication, of special interests, because in order to do cosplay well, you have to do a lot of research into the materials you want. You have to do a the lot detail. of research into the characters. It's all about the details. Yeah. I, there is this group, uh, well, this duo called the Cowbutt Crunchies. And I, mm-hmm. I really believe that they might be one of us, but, uh, But anyway, you have to put a lot of work into this. And the only reason you put a lot of work into it is because you love the characters. And I... I have always said that autistic relationships are based on the three Fs, friends, family, and fictional characters, because (laughs) we find these characters that we love, that we relate to, that we identify with, we can research the characters. We can know everything that there is to know about the characters. We write fanfic about the characters. We download parts of the characters into ourselves, and those become who we are.
1: Identity. Yeah, that's part of identity.
0: And this is a big part about the whole regulation stuff, because... If you have this roadmap, if you have these these infallible role models, because again, humans will let us down. Humans are real. Humans Mm -hmm. have foibles. I dare you to be let down by Optimus Prime or Yoda (laughs) or... Twilight Sparkle, or My because, Little Pony, exactly because the, these are infallible. They, they they will they might make mistakes, but they learn lessons and become better from them. And that teaches us how to be better. And that's and the there's thing about-
1: somewhat of a formula, like with the show or with like a Sherlock Holmes book, or like you know how it's gonna go at the end of 19 minutes. It's not gonna go haywire. It's yeah. or 30 minutes, however long the shows are, whatever, but. Like, I, a lot of times when there's a show that I know, I will track the time and sort of guess what's gonna happen. And it, I know, I'm like, well, there's two minutes left. So it's obviously gonna resolve. We yeah. don't have to worry about this thing because of the time.
0: Yeah, so. and, then, and that's the thing with it because you know that your heroes are always going to save the day, that the heroes are going to be in danger, but they'll pull through. With the notable exception of Transformers, the movie in 1986, when Lauren and McCall decided to kill Optimus Prime because he was old product and they needed new product, which traumatized a generation of kids who love Transformers, and they realized, let's never ever do that again. Right. So. But yeah, yeah this is a, this is the thing about understanding us and who we relate to and how we relate. And because- there's
1: also the flow stuff too like when you're making your costume or picking out your costume or shopping you're losing track of time you're in the flow you're in autistic joy when you get one of the details right and a plan comes together. So all of those regulating things are happening even in the process of planning for it. Like when you get the date and you see it on your calendar, that alone can be regulating.
0: But that's the thing. We need co-regulation because (laughs) that's a big thing about autistic people is that we get so overwhelmed with our emotions. We get so into our own brains because of our monotropic focus. We often lose the ability to regulate ourselves because we are we are so intense into this uh, intensity is the name of the game for autistic people that's why we need these role models that's why we need these characters that's why we need other autistic people but that's also why equestrian therapy, hippotherapy, because hmm. fun fact, hippos are related to horses. I did uh, not know that. Okay. But this is why equestrian therapy is very, very good for autistic people because of the co-regulation. Um, so this is a quote from a noted autistic person and horse uh, enthusiast, Temple Granted.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Temple says... Animals and autistic people don't see their ideas of things; they see the actual things themselves. So I didn't know. So this book is uh, "Animals in Translation." Yeah, uh, talk animal.
0: Temple Grandin, uh, and I will preface this by saying a lot of Temple Grandin's work is very ableist because she grew up in a period where there is uh, a lot of internalized ableism because people called her everything that they called Linda Wolverton and Bonnie Zachary and everything else. But, uh, she now works, uh, her, her primary area of research. She is a doctor who studies animal cognition. And, uh, but, but anyway, the important part is that she's also said these things
1: The brain of the horse is very specific. If a horse gets a fear memory, it's stored as a picture, a sound, or a feel. It could be a smell, but not usually. A real common thing is feeling like bucking when you change gates. Interesting. A saddle feels different at each gate and creates a different feeling picture in the brain. Um, And then she continues, the way the brain works is that the fear memories can never be erased. You train the horse to close the file on the fear memory, but you cannot delete it off the horse's hard drive. You have some of the same problems with autistic children, especially if they're nonverbal. Let's say a fire alarm went off and it hurt the child's ears. Now you can't get him into a room where he sees a fire alarm. He sees the little red box and starts screaming.
0: And again, Temple Grandin is is a prolific researcher in autism. Temple Grandin is one of the first autistic women to speak out about you know being autistic. Uh, fun fact: uh, one of these school psychologists I once worked with told me to my face that uh, she will never read my reports because quote girls can't be autistic. So I very much point to Temple Grandin on that. Yeah, Tell so. Temple. Yeah. But uh, again, a lot of this goes back to, you know, the internalized ableism that she has gotten over the years from neurotypicals uh, about how we we are different and therefore wrong and all this other stuff. But this this also goes other, back to the other
1: thing I want. I mean, I have many things to say about Temple um, maybe we'll do an episode on her. But like the other thing for me is autistic people are different and she does tend to assume everyone's autism manifests like hers does. So that she has a lot about the thinking in pictures. I don't, I don't have that one. I have, I get whole pages dictated to me, but I only think in words I have. Um, I don't, I don't see pictures at all, even in memories. I have no pictures, but I have sheets and sheets of pages of words and all in black and white. So when I read about her like thinking in picture stuff, I get it. I know that must be true for people, but also autistic people are not a monolith. We all didn't exactly. get the exact same, you know, playbook. It doesn't work exactly the same for all of us. So exactly, and that, wish that's she acknowledged a, that a little more.
0: That's a big thing about the internalized ableism with that. Uh, because mm. again, uh, her, her work is with, uh, she still uses functioning labels, high mm. functioning and low functioning and all that nonsense. Because again, This is how neurotypicals see us because, and this is a big thing about why functional labels are bad. Because let's say people like us who host a podcast and have a job and are able to, you know, do things. We are labeled as high functioning and that denies us the ability to have difficulties. Like I really, really hate traffic. I hate driving. Well, I, I like driving, but I hate driving around other people because I find it chaotic. I really, really hate being in rush hour. I will never, ever schedule anyone for an office appointment where I have to be there during rush hour. Not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I much prefer to work here doing telehealth from my home, wearing sweatpants and bare feet. I find that autistic people are divided firmly into the I must wear socks at all time or I can never wear socks ever camps Uh because of different sensory issues. Again, not a monolith because this is how we roll. But this is the thing about it because neurotypicals neurotypicals have this view of autism as a brain that needs to be trained and conquered and broken, Mm. which is why we have ABA. And this is the the big difference between the autistic approach to horse training and the neurotypical approach approach to horse training, because neurotypicals will tell you that a a horse needs to be quote broken, mm-hmm. and this I've is a very takers. very common thing because you must assert your dominance over the nature, you must assert your dominance over this half ton animal and say, no, you will do what I want you to do horse without uh, realizing that number one, this may cause trauma for a very large and potentially fearful and angry animal. And number two, there's much more effective ways to do that because if you give a horse an apple and some cuddles, the horse is much more likely to listen to you. And this is a big thing about equine therapy. So there are a lot of studies showing how equine-assisted therapy is really, really good for autistic kids. Uh, but uh, and
1: autistic adults, I, I've done it. Yeah, I've done exactly. it a few times.
0: It's exactly. very helpful. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of stuff. And we can include uh, some links to these in the show notes. But I mean, honestly, I live in Kentucky, the horse capital of everything. Oh, yeah, you're in horse Yeah. I know lots and lots of autistic people who, do, who, uh, are trained in equine therapy to help other autistic people. One mm-hmm. of the big things that I recommend to autistic people, especially autistic girls, is this, is horse therapy because of the co-regulation. Co-regulation mm-hmm. is essential. If you're an autistic kid and you have an autistic parent, you might co-regulate with each other. The autistic parent says, oh, you have big emotions, come here for cuddles. We will even it out. And when you have two people co-regulating, you bring calm upon the dysregulated. When you Mm -hmm. have a service animal, you can the service animal will come into your lap and want some cuddles whenever it senses that you're dysregulated. And that's a better way for regulation. When you have a horse and this horse is this gigantic animal and it senses that this teeny tiny little thing is scared, the horse will say, Don't worry, teeny tiny little scared thing. I will take care of you because horses are very empathetic creatures. Generally speaking, again, Mm. you might meet an asshole horse once in a while, Mm. but uh, this is the thing because uh, you're the horse sees you essentially as a little pet. And the horse wants to say, don't worry, we'll be okay. When you see a dysregulated horse seeing a dysregulated human, they sort of come together and learn how to overcome stuff together. And that's one of the beauty. Uh, that's a beautiful thing about, you know, especially like, quote unquote, horse girl culture, or as we call them, equestrians. Mm, you're <laughs> <Because> right. <laughs> in order to be a successful equestrian, it's not like driving a car. You don't, tell the car what to do, you work with the horse, you learn the horse, you you have a bond with the horse, you see the horse every single day, you, you groom it, again, this is a human social thing, it's a horse social thing, you get the, the stuff out of its mane, you get the stuff out of its tail, just like with the ponies. You, you have this deep personal bond with a horse, and this goes against the, the stereotype that autistic people are cold and unfeeling and have mm. disordered relationships and all this other stuff. It just shows that we, we have very strong and very deep relationships, just not with assholes, <laughs> right if if you want to have a strong and meaningful relationship with us you have to be willing to work on our level you have you have to up your standards for what a relationship means and get deep and to get really really hardcore with it so that we can regulate with you so that we can share stuff with you so that we can do this kind of stuff and this is where you know the ponies and equestrians and all this stuff come into play because sometimes it's easier to do that with an animal than with a human because humans don't understand us, but animals do. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com. differencepress.com. And find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book.
1: So I want to share a little about my experience with horse therapy, which is um, I describe my first experience with horses as a year of therapy in, I don't know, eight hours, whatever it was, two days. So it's very, very... um, there are things that I could never describe in therapy that were very quickly done in um, with, with horses. And so th- this is the experience I had. I would want the horse to do a behavior. So as part of the therapy, it would be like, I don't know, feed the horse a carrot. And I would want the horse to take the carrot. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the horse didn't want to take care of it. It was eating the grass. It's looking off. There's something else running. It's paying attention to something else. It's on alert. Somebody's at a gun range next door, shoot it like whatever. And so I have this physical feeling in my body of like wanting, like I want the horse to do this, like wanting, needing. And kind of pushing the horse and that they, you mentioned they're half ton. You can't like force the horse to do something because they're bigger than you. You can't. I mean, I guess you could. I could like beat the horse to take the carrot, but like they, you it didn't have that option. So you have to develop a relationship with the horse so the horse feels safe with you and wants the carrot, wants to connect with you, wants to not worry about the gun range next door or whatever's going on. So whenever I was forcing the horse, I would get an idea. Here's how I'm going to get the horse to do this thing. And there was a feeling in my body. It was sort of like a lightness and it felt almost like joy or elation. I I was like super excited. Like, I have a plan. I'm going to get this horse to do something. Mm -hmm. And I would think, oh, now I've got him. Like now I've got, now I'm going to get what I want. And I would feel very happy. And it would consistently, I could like repeat this um, in the therapy session. It would not work. Yeah. It would not work. And the horse would just walk away. Like it would not work. And I started to notice this pattern that when I could like calm my breathing down and not have that elated, joyful, excited feeling, I would often be able to get the horse to do what I want, which was very counterintuitive to me because I loved that feeling of everything's about to work. Like it felt really positive to me, but it yeah. actually was not working for the horse. It was like this lady's kind of tweaky. Like why why you so why so much pressure? It's just a fucking carrot lady. And if I was just like, ah, eh, got a carrot, and if I could be chill, the horse would be into my thing. And then I started noticing right before I got that elated feeling, I would get a tightness in my hamstrings. It was the pre-elated feeling. Huh. And that now this is not the symptom for other people, but now when I get that tightness in my hamstrings, which happens right before I'm going to have like a little bit of a freak out, when I get that tightness in my hamstrings... I can take a few deep breaths, regulate myself, and I'm much more likely to get what I want from a client, my husband, the team. Because when I get really excited and start explaining all the ways that we have to do things, and then there's a whole plan, and there's a system, and then we're going to do this, other people don't want to do it. They don't want to get on board. And I know when I get that feeling in my hamstrings... Other people do not want to hear the details, all the details that are super important to me that I have 3,261 of, and I can tell them how everything's connected. No one wants to fucking hear it, Angela. And it is not going to get you the outcome you want. And so what I learned from the horses is that moment before, which I talked about elation, but it can also be the moment before a meltdown, that moment before and how to catch it. So then I was hanging out with Alex Plank, the founder of Wrong Planet, an amazing autistic advocate who has a therapy dog. And that same moment, which for me, I identify as this tightness in my hamstrings, when Alex is at that moment, his therapy dog goes like this to his knee, just right before. And I watched Alex do the exact same thing I did to like chill himself out, just like right now, where you're going, other people are not going to love this, Alex. And you wouldn't know it. Like you, his dog's amazing, but you would, it just looked like, I don't know, maybe he wants to go out. Like it's very non-obtrusive. If we were in a business meeting and Alex's dog did that, you'd never know. But I watched Alex completely shift and like... And so anyway, I wanted to share that because it's not, there is horse cuddles, but it's not just about the cuddles. It's about what we can learn from animals that like words, like somebody in therapy could have told Alex, hey, when you're feeling this way, then before you're feeling this way, how do you feel? It's very hard to track.
0: I think that that's why we relate to animals because we vibe with them and there's no, human verbal language that sufficiently describes the vibe that you get from an animal.
1: Especially, I don't know if I'm using this term right, but alexithymia, is that when you can't describe? I got that. Whatever that is. It's like, how do you feel? I don't fucking know. Ask me any other question. It's like the whole brain gets erased when somebody asks me how I feel. Yeah. How are you? If you ever want me to ghost you on text, email me. How are you? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I got then, nothing,
0: bud. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. It, it goes back to like, you know, Wind Whistler and having big emotions, not being able to explain them to the other ponies. Uh, this is the way of our people. And this is why we relate so well to animals. And this is why we are animal centric and horse centric and dragon centric and yeah this is why we we work so well with them because this is this is how we express ourselves
1: yeah so i think the the horse girl thing and the bronies thing like those are all connected to the lessons and the joy and the connection we get from animals that don't require us explaining our feelings.
0: Yeah, because um, you, you never tell your cat, hello, cat, I feel very sad today because this, this, and this happens. You just sit there, the cat sets in, your are you stroke the cat, the cat purrs and uh, kind of kneads at you, and then you just yeah. kind of vibe.
1: Yeah, you're just vibing, just yeah. vibing with our ponies.
0: This is well, the way...
1: All right. Well, that's why I love My Little Pony. By the way, uh, I was actually a little surprised you picked this topic. And I will, this maybe is my own internalized sexism here, but I feel like this is a girl topic. Are you actually a My Little Pony fan or are you just appreciating
0: an argument? I Okay, I appreciate it. I'm not... Yeah. So one of the neat things that Lauren Faust uh, does, because I'm a fan of Lauren Faust's work, mm. I love the fact that Weird Al Yankovic is a pony. I love the fact that John Delancey Q is uh, Discord uh, in uh, Friendship is Magic. There are so many... Other elements of a fandom that are brought into that, they've actually made My Little Pony Power Rangers, My Little Pony Ghostbusters, My Little Pony Optimus Prime. I have all three of those. But I did not
1: an, know any of this.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's, there is a huge fandom overlap with this, and again, being a Transformer fan, there was very, very nearly a BotCon, the transformer convention, exclusive transforming my little pony that turned from a unicorn into a robot. But, uh, all of a sudden people freaked out because they said, no, no, we can't possibly do that, but it would have been awesome. So I, again, I, I love researching and I love uh, seeing the origins behind things. And I have a big appreciation for the world of my little pony, uh, as, somewhat of an outsider, but again, that's why I like the comments. If you are a genuine pony fanatic and I have, uh, misquoted or, you know, misrepresented of the fandom, please join in. And, uh, Tell us about your own experiences.
1: Right. Share with us. Uh, we love to see your comments. And if you have other My Little Pony fans in your world, please um, share this episode with them. Um, it helps us get the word out about the show and find other people like you. So,
0: but speaking yeah. of sharing, what is your uh, favorite part about being Autistic this week, Angela?
1: Okay, I have a story for you. It's a follow-up. So a couple episodes ago, we talked about how I was invited to be on a board and I was like, oh, I don't wanna, this never goes well. Me in groups doesn't go well. Anyway, the ball dropped on that, which I was happy to let go. And then it circled back around this week and um, I got asked again to be on this board. And I wrote back and I said, listen, I know you guys want me to be on this board. I would love to be on this board, but I really want to share with you why I do not think it is going to help you accomplish your goals. Like I'll work in the background, I will help in any way I can, but I don't think me doing this will be better. So they're like, we have a lot of log jams, we want you. So I wrote, I'm really flattered and I'd love to help, but I am a super confrontational person and I don't tend to make log jams better. (laughs) This is not negative self-talk. I think I'm amazing, but I know as an autistic person moving through a neurotypical world, I don't do well with committees. I just don't suffer fools easily. I don't play the long game and I am the least diplomatic person I know. I am not sure how much you know about autism, but we are known for our bluntness and tend to be highly disliked. On the ocean psychological test, my likability is 13%, meaning 87% (laughs) of people are more likable than me. I am incredibly likely to do more harm than good in any sort of forward-facing role. I am your classic egg-breaker. All that said, I recognize I'm incredibly smart, an out-of-the-box thinker, a doer, a problem solver, and about 3,000 times more faster and efficient than most holistic humans. But I know my strengths, and I really don't want to cause problems. Um, if you still think it's a good idea, I am not opposed to the work or the effort. I just want you to think through the fact that 100% of the time, I win the Does Not way- Play Well in Sandbox Award. So my gut says this is a terrible idea, but I am touched and delighted to be asked, and I would love to take a more active behind the scenes role where I'm less likely to cause problems.
0: Yeah.
1: So, th- w- I will wait until you hear the con- the next step of the story. So I felt really good about this because one of the reasons why I often don't respond is like I I love being asked. And I'm really flattered and I really want to say yes. But then historically, every time I've said yes, it's a fucking disaster. And so I'm like, I should just say no, but I want to say yes. And then I get trapped in this yes, no, and then I ghost people. So I didn't want to ghost. I'm like, let me, my, my word of the year is unmask for 2023 and so I'm like, let me just say all the things. I want to do it, but I you're pretty, you probably don't want me to. Maybe there's some other win-win we could find if I'm just honest about the truth of who I am. And none of this is negative. Like, I think I'm amazing. I'm just not awesome on committees. I'm also not great at cooking dinner. Like, doesn't make me a bad person. <laughs> so
0: just get an air fryer. Yeah. Right.
1: I love an air fryer. So let me read you what he wrote me back. He said, Angela, this is precisely why we thought you would be a great fit. From the beginning, you were the first person who is not afraid to speak up and make your view known. This is what the board needs. A problem solver is what we need right now. And we sincerely hope you will be willing to trust that the board will respect you for who you are. Like uh um, we're going to spend it. So I don't know if that's true and I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I was like, what an interesting response. Cause I was not subtle. Like yeah. I did yeah. not hold that. <laughs> I, provided, I provided all of the, uh, information, including my ocean score. It's like there was quantitative and qualitative data there. So I was like, this is, uh, I still don't think it's a fit for me because I don't think they really know that I meant it because I think allistics don't really say stuff like that and mean it. So I still think it's not a fit, but it was just a very different response than the response I get when I ghost people, which usually leads to not being asked. I get really mad about not being asked. I've done a lot of therapy on this. And the therapy always comes down to like, well, what would you say if they asked you? And my answer is I would say no. And then they're like, well, that's why you're not getting asked. And that does make a certain sort of sense. But I feel really lonely and sad that I don't get asked. It's like one of my like big therapy things. Like no one ever asked me to do anything. No one ever asked me. And so I'm like, okay, it's not that I don't get asked. It's that I either ghost people or I say no, or I put off some don't ask me vibe. So anyway went a different way today and uh, we'll see how that all evolves. That's
0: my story for you. I I like that. I like that a lot. I I especially like that you put yourself out there and I hope that they, I hope that they mean it. But again, I, 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 I well know that other people, Alistix don't understand the intensity that they're signing up for. So. Right.
1: Also, this is one person. So even if he wants it, it's a committee. And I, been I've there, been there, done that. Been there, done that. I've been through this rodeo. Yeah. But anyway, that's my story. I loved spending time with all of my favorite um, little ponies. By the way, do you have a favorite or a totem, My Little Pony?
0: I honestly, my favorite is Derpy Hooves because based on an animation error where the eyes were just going in different directions, Derpy Hooves became a, a sort of, you know, the oddball pony that was just out there and uh, has since been renamed, I believe, because again, some people thought it might be making fun of disabled people. Yeah. But I, I really, really, uh, I, I think that uh, she's a great, great pony, but yeah.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, mine is Pinkie Pie. As you all know, please put your favorite, My Little Pony in the comments below and we'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to the
0: Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find
1: out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com
0: or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in licensed psychological practitioner.com.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember,
0: no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else.